How's it going, everyone? Today's special guest is my good friend and just awesome individual, Steve Carlson. You know Steve from the movie Slapshot, but there, he's so much more than that with his actual NHL career, professional career, just an overall incredible human being. And so it's uh, great to have you on here, Steve. Thanks, my friend. Great to have you. Great to be on your show. You know, I, I'm looking forward to it. It's it's, it's going to be uh, uh, it's great to be back on on the, in the public eye again. It's it's it feels good. So when like you probably, I was kind of back in December, January, hearing about this COVID type of stuff, and it's one of those things where man, it's the media, it's the news. Like it's not going to leave China. It's not going to make it past Europe. So when that kind of hits in February, March. All right, what are your first kind of thoughts mentally? Well, you know, we, we thought it was kind of like, a, okay, it's, it's going to be a, a strong flu. You know, it, it's going to be one of these things that they, they guess every year, get a flu shot. There's like 350-some uh, different uh, strands of flu out there, and they guess what strand you're going to get. That was my first thought. Then all of a sudden now people are going into the hospital, the, the nursing homes, people are dying, all that stuff. I said, boy, this is serious. And uh, – uh, with the Hanson brothers, uh, with our age, you know, we're we're I'm the youngest and I'm 65, so we have to uh, we got to kind of shut down the Hanson brothers. We can't go into public. See, what we what we really like to do is go into the people's and go into the arenas, go and meet and greet a lot of you know the, all of the ankle biters all the way up to grandmas and grandpas. You know, <laughs> we like doing that. We like to make put a, a smile on our faces. Now we can't. So now we're we're kind of stuck. Uh, we're stuck at home, which which is it, it's fabulous. I've I've got a fabulous wife. It, it, if I'm going to be stuck at home, uh, quarantined, I'd rather be with her. You know, hundred percent. So it's like, okay, let's let's see, let's wait, wait it out a couple months, and it'll go away. Well, it's not. Now here comes a second strand coming through, and it says, okay, all right, we got to hunker down again. That's all. And you do have an awesome wife, Vicky. Uh... I remember when you guys came out to the Nickelback show a couple of years ago. And she was yeah. awesome. It was great to see you guys then. Um, the, what hit me for COVID is I'm kind of like, well, how serious is this? Well, the NBA canceled their season and postponed it. And I'm kind of like, well, it's the NBA. They have a bunch of floppers. Like, not to take away from those athletes, but right. they tend to have like kind of that sissy mentality. So okay. I, I'm in the office in Florida with my CEO, Chris, and – I'm like, well, if, if the NHL shuts down, now we have an issue because those guys are warriors. Like, they don't complain about nothing. And so literally that same day, the NHL shuts down. And that's where it kind of hit me because it's like growing up, I've always looked up to the NHL as the kind of like the premier type of jet role, like warrior scholars. Right. fight on the ice. They're going to play through anything. Um, the only thing that's going to derail them maybe is a shutdown or it's like a uh, – like the the season gets shortened with like they're they're going against their owners and stuff like that. But right. so when that happened, I'm kind of like, man, this is serious. As a player, as a former player, do you think when that happens, you're kind of like scared too? Because NHL players are tough. Well, you know, we we are tough hockey players. You know, we 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 play through a lot of pain. Not I'm not questioning the football players do the same thing. A hundred percent. They play for, but you gotta, the difference between the hockey players and football players, and I've talked to the football players about this, is they play 16 games. We play 82. You know, we, we play two or three games a week. They play one. So it's like uh, we don't get a chance to heal. We use the summer to heal in, uh, to get our body back to normal. And that's one of the reasons why I retired from hockey is because my body didn't heal during the summertime. I went into training camp hurt from the season before. So I said, okay, I can't do it no more because I can't. Uh, perform at my top uh, what I can do uh, but when when the hockey players when when they say 
they're shutting it down. It's pretty serious because now, and also you got to remember one thing too: the, the borders aren't going to be shut off. So the Canadians, the, you know, the Canadians can't come into the states. The Americans can't go into Canada, and probably uh, I would say about sixty-five to seventy-five percent of the players are Canadians. So now, now where are you going to have it? And I and I like what the Edmonton, I, I like what the NHL did. They had two base stations, one one in Toronto, one in Edmonton, where everyone was in their bubble. Uh, one of the it was kind of cool because the equipment manager for the Pittsburgh Penguins, I gave him his first job. Dana Heinze, when I when I, when he was just out of college, I could have had a veteran equipment manager be with my team, but I picked him because I could train him the way I wanted him to train. And now he's the head man. He was the head, uh, assistant in Tampa when they won the uh, Stanley Cup with the Caviar in St. Louis. Now he's the head man in Pittsburgh for many years. He's actually ready to retire. And uh, it was one of these things. Uh, I understand what the hockey players do. I talked to him about being in the bubble. It was tough. It was tough. You can't go nowhere. You can't talk. You can FaceTime your family. But that's one of the reasons why I moved to Pennsylvania is because I'm in California and I'm FaceTiming our, grand, our grandkids all the time. Well, it's not the same thing as being there. Right. And that's why we moved here. But uh, – for three months, you had to be in a bubble. And uh, to win the Stanley Cup, Tampa Bay winning the Stanley Cup this year, and w- how they did it, it was just unbelievable. And without Stamkos on their team, and they, they one, one of the great things about uh, Stamkos, what he did was I knew he was only, he was only going to play a few shifts. I thought he was only going to be on the power play. Right. But he goes out there his first shift, he scores a goal. That is just a moral victory for the whole Tampa Bay because this our captain, our leader, is going out there sucking it up, playing, staying in the bubble. He could have went home. He knew he wasn't going to play no more. He could have went home, but he stayed there and became became the leader that he is. And they went on to win the Stanley Cup. So it, it was different with uh, with the NHL. I'm, I'm looking now with the, the football where you know. They're, they're not being quarantined. They're, they're running around. They're, they're not doing the protocol they're supposed to be doing. Baseball did the same thing. They weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Hockey players did what they're supposed to do. You're not going to leave the bubble. You're going to do what you have to do. And that's the discipline that the hockey players have. One of the cool things about the NHL is that I'm from Boston, so I've always grew up a Boston Bruins fan. My friends in high school and college, like, but we never talk about the that I, if a player gets hurt or something crazy happens like Chara or like a fight, we're all talk about. It. But until it gets to the playoffs, we don't. We're not like, oh, what are you watching Tuesday at the Bruins game? But as soon as the playoffs hit, there is this kind of like aura that comes with. I don't care what team you are. I love watching playoff hockey. What is it about the actual playoffs that just makes everything that much like high intensity? You're playing for the the hardest trophy, the oldest one of the oldest trophies in the history of the world, and the hardest to win. You know, you, you've got two months. You have to play four rounds of best of seven. It, 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 it's grueling. It, it, it's a grueling schedule, uh, and which was really good this year for the teams. You didn't have to. Could you imagine Tampa Bay playing the L, or uh, Tampa Bay playing the, the L.A. Kings in the finals? Going oh. to country every other day, you know, and which was really cool. They got to rest every night. You know, playing back-to-back games wasn't a problem, but they only did that once in the playoffs. But it, it, was, it was really cool in Edmonton what they did. But it, uh, there's nothing like playoff hockey because now it's do or die. The, and, and the referees kind of put their whistles away because they got these new rules out there that you can't the, – the, the clutch and grab era. The, the way the game is played right now is the NHL – and sometimes I feel the NHL means uh, no hit league. You know, like, come on, do something. Because when when we played 
And this is one of the things that we uh, were uh, misunderstood by Mr. Batman is we promoted uh, fighting. We didn't promote fighting at all. We promote in your face. When someone has the puck, they should be hit. And if a fight breaks out, so be it. That's the game. You know, when I, when I was in Edmonton, when Gretzky was a rookie, he was my roommate for a while. And uh, there's only two players in the history of hockey that play with Gretzky and Gordie Howe. I'm one of them. Who were the other ones? Uh, Blaine Stout was the other one. Wow. Played for the uh, Hartford Whalers uh, with uh, Gordie Howe. And uh, he played with Gretzky, I think, in Indianapolis. But anyways, that's the only two that I ever played with both of them. So it's one of these things, you know, I, I forgot my train of thought there. But anyways, is playing in, uh, in the game of hockey, it's in your face. Like, uh, okay, got back to it. Batman says uh, we promoted fight. We did. When we played, if someone has a puck, they should be hit. That's the game. It's a contact sport. Nowadays, it's like uh, they don't hit no more. They, they, don't, they don't finish their checks because you can't. It's called interference. And I, I believe they changed the rules because of the European players. European players, they have a lot of talent. European players can skate, they can pass, they can shoot. But when they get into a small rink at the Boston Guards, they can't move. And here comes Winsink, here comes Terry O'Reilly, here comes Mike Milbury, here comes Stan Jonathan. They can't run. There's no place to hide. That's why the Montreal Canadiens and Boston Bruins were a great rivalry because when you go up to Montreal, you got this rink with a flying Frenchman going all over the place. Those boys can't catch them. All right, come to our rink now. Now we can get you, and uh, that's why it's a great rivalry. So it's uh, and, and the game has changed a lot also is because the, all the arenas are the same. All arenas has 20,000 people. All arenas are, are huge. No one can hear the, the, the play no more. You can barely see the ice surface if you're in the top row at these, at these uh, great places. Boston Bruins, you got the old Boston Guards. You got the Montreal Canadiens. You're down two goals when you go into the Montreal Forum. You're already down two goals before the game even starts. <laughs> Just the error of it. Then you got the Maple Leaf Garden. Then you got the Madison Square Garden. Then you got the, uh, the 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 Olympia where the Detroit Red Wings play. Then you got Chicago Stadium where you have to climb up three flights of stairs to get to the ice. And and at the Boston Gardens, you're fighting off cockroaches in your locker room. So it's like everyone's got their home ice advantage. Now there's no home ice advantage. Everyone's every rink's the same. Now, I, and I do understand that you do have to adapt with the times and buildings. The, the infrastructure can kind of fall apart. You do have to increase. But like you said, I remember going, I think it was 96, 97. My dad took me to the Boston Brewers, New Jersey Devil game. I think it was the last um, season at the Old Garden. Okay. And I remember looking down the steps as a kid. I'm like, man, this is scary. But everyone's drinking, having a good time. There was like that aura of being right. in the old guard and watching these gladiators. There's something about that you can't replace. And the Boston guards where the upper deck is actually overhanging the, the, the ice. Oh, it's like what's going on? Straight down at the ice surface, you know, and, and the smell. The, the, the <laughs> you know, That's what I said. Home ice advantage was huge back in those days. There's no home ice advantage no more. What is – the? I don't think the hockey players are pushing for this kind of – change of rules in terms of I mean, player safety is one thing, but the fighting is it people that are watching the sport or sponsors or owners that are trying to like, why is there a push to kind of, to kind of take down the violence? See, I don't know. I don't know, but I always say there's only two reasons why someone stands up at a hockey game, a fight breaks out or someone scores a goal. That's the only time someone stands up at a hockey game. And, uh, and I'll, I'll give you a good example of what, what, what I uh, went through 
when I was rooming with Gretzky in Edmonton, we had uh, Dave Samenko as the enforcer. My brothers were enforcers. And you can call them goons, whatever you want them. They're enforcers. They, they took care of their players. And I'll give you a couple examples of that. But uh, when, when Gretzky went from uh, Edmonton to L.A. to St. Louis, he was in St. Louis, and they were playing in Buffalo. And I was doing a show in Buffalo with the Hanson brothers, and he didn't play that night. He was tired. So I sat down for about an hour and talked to him. I said, hey, Gretz, listen, here's the deal. What's going on with this fighting stuff? You know, he goes, I said, you're playing on both sides of the fence. When you played, you had Samanko, you had Marty McSorley, you had the enforcers that protect you to give you the right to move around. He says, Steve, the NHL wants me to do this stuff. They want to get the fighting out of the game. They feel it's too violent because of uh, the kids and all that stuff. I says, okay, I understand that. I understand it, but it's entertaining. You don't you don't see the Samankos or the enforcers going after you. They go after when someone takes a shot at you. Here comes the enforcer on the ice. You touch him again, you have to deal with me. And that's the way the game was played. And I'll give you a good example about remember Pi McKinsey with the Boston Bruins. Yeah. I play with Pi and Davy Keon with the Minnesota Fighting Saints and New England Whalers. I was with them for like eight years. So we're we're playing in Cincinnati and Barry Melrose. The announcer was playing for Cincinnati, and Pie's on the ice. My brother Jack's on the bench. Barry takes a, Barry's a defenseman. He takes a shot at Pie. My brother Jack yells out to Pie, Pie, come off the ice. Pie jumps off the ice. Jack jumps on. Jack goes up to Melrose and says, listen, you touch Pie again, you have to deal with me. Next shift, Pie goes on the ice. Melrose takes another shot. Run at him. Brother Jack from the bench, Pie, come here. Comes off the ice. Here comes Jack. And just pounds Barry Melrose. Just, hey, I says, I warned you, don't touch him. Let him play his game. Take him out. Don't take runs at him. Play the game like you're supposed to play, but don't take cheap shots at him. And that that's the lesson with the, the enforcers. I like to see. And that's what's great about uh, playoff hockey. The referees put their whistle away. They get they, The players can do their little slashing. The players can do a little bit more uh, running. Uh, and like I said, about the, the Europeans, about changing the game. They couldn't play the game that we the, the North Americans were playing. So they changed the rules. They took the red line out. You can't hook and grab no more, and it's going to add more scoring. Well, that's not the case because when during the clutch and grab era, Gretzky scored 90 goals and 220-some points. Mario Lemieux got 200-some points. No one ever is going to get 200 points again, but that's during the clutch and grab era. These Europeans, oh, come on, I can't skate. I can't do this. Well, too bad. Learn our style of game because you're over here playing. If you don't like it, go back to Sweden, Russia, Finland, whatever you want to play, and go in that big rink and, and fancy dance out there. I don't, you know, that's, I, I like old time hockey, like Eddie Shore, Dick Clapper, Toblay, Gordy. <laughs> Amazing. So I've had the privilege of kind of meeting uh, guys like Ty Domi and stuff backstage yep. shows. And one of the, I'm always curious when I, when I first met Ty. I'm like, "Hey, we're talking about different fights, and you know how he is very like adamant. Just never just ask him. Very Ty Domi. And I'm like, do you ever when you get those fights, do you ever have like actual hatred towards people? And shockingly, yeah, there's one or two guys, but they will fight out the ice, and then you guys will have a beer after. No there's just something about that that's so like scholarly. It just it's awesome. It's called respect." It's called respect because he has a job to do. His job is to make sure he protected uh, Marcus, uh, or the, the Sundines and the boys from the Maple Leafs or when he played for New York Rangers. He had people to protect. Uh, when him and Bob Probert went at it, you know, the heavyweight belt, that, that was it. Yep. One, one of the most feared fighters out there, and you won't believe it, is Joey Kosher. 
Really? Dylan Cooper was one of the most feared fighters because he will – see, there's a lot of – like Ty Domi and Bob Probert, they'll hit you. Probert will hurt you. Ty Domi will hurt you. But all the fighters like Basil McCray and those boys, uh, uh, a couple other players that were, were uh, kind of enforcers, they didn't hurt you when they punched you. I'll give you a good story. When Joey Kosher was in the minors at Adirondack, I was playing. I was a captain in Baltimore. We're playing in Baltimore, and uh, Kosher gets in a fight with one of our players, and Co- and our, our our players doing really well with him. But Joey Kosher, he always tucked his head into his shoulder where you can't really get him good, and all of a sudden he comes over with an overhand. He hit the guy so hard on the cheekbone, it popped his eye out, and his eye was sitting on his cheekbone popped his eyeball out out of his socket like whoa this boy can hit and you know what you talk about all the fighters and nhl players all the fighters are the most kindest most generous people off the ice they and they are very uh special people and i'll give you a good example my brother jack was an enforcer and i one time i said jack do you like fighting he goes you know i love feeling my fist smashing someone's face i said that's not well that's not well (laughs) That that's that's not well at all. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it's it's pretty scary. The other thing I like about the NHL too is that and we don't have to, we don't have to talk politics, obviously, but there is really no politics. They just do their talking on the ice. There's no like, I don't know how to say it without coming off like. I mean, I care about different causes and stuff, but when you watch a hockey game, like, there's no. Everything, everyone's just there in the moment playing the game that they love. And I find that very kind of – I appreciate that as a, as a fan. I really do also, but I also like the the Marshans and uh, the Sean Averys and, and the Kenny Lisbon, the yappers, the, the trash talkers. They're fu- they're, they come up with the funniest things out there. It, it's just – I wish the, I wish they would just – Mic up all the players and let them hear what they have to say on the ice. It's just funny as heck. Granted, granted, they're going to get fined because it's politically incorrect nowadays. Oh, 100%. You know, so you can't say that stuff. So you can't mic them up. But back when we played, anything went. Anything went. And, you know, and that and that's what upsets a lot of players. You know, you, you said, what about my mother? You said, what about my wife? How You can't say that. You can't call me that name. You know, and here we go. And, that, and that's what gets them riled up. But, uh, Nowadays, it's you got Marshawn for the Boston Bruins. He's a yapper, you know, and he he picks him. He picks his spots. He knows when and when he was younger, he didn't pick his spots. Now he matures a little bit. He understands the game. Instead of it's me, it's the team. It's always the team. What what can I do to get our team fired up again? Do I do a good hit? Do I yap to one of their superstars that gets them off their game a lot? That's what he does well, and that's why you need players like him on the on your team. The mental head games um, are – it's quite impressive, like you said. Like, it's amazing how you know how to hit the right nerve on the player to kind of get him off his game. And that just changes the whole caliber of what his game plan was. There's no question because I'll, I'll give you a good example. When we were playing against the Birmingham Bulls in the WHA, uh, Gretzky, one of the first uh, weeks that we were – when he came, went from Indianapolis to Edmonton with us, uh, we were playing in Birmingham, and I'm sitting on the bench with him. I said, hey, Gretzky. Everyone tells me how great you are. He's he's eight and seventeen at the time when he signed with Indy, but he was eighteen at the time. I says, everyone says how great you are. Show me how good you are. He goes, what do you want me to do? I says, okay, here's what I want you to do: get the puck in our own zone, go around all three of their forwards, go around one defenseman, bring the puck back out of the zone, go around the other defenseman, score a goal. He goes, okay. 
unbelievable. He gets the puck in our zone, goes around all three forwards, goes around one defenseman, goes back around outside the red line, and goes around the other defenseman and scores a goal. He comes back to the bench, comes back to the bench. I says, "Okay, you're good." <laughs> unbelievable. They, 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 it was unbelievable. So if you could kind of look back, it's amazing that you have such fond memories of like Gordy Howe Wade. But when you kind of look step back now, it must be kind of these stories that any sports fan would love. You can tell your grandkids like it's there's got to be something about that. You must be so proud that you were actually able to play during that era. No question about it. Granted, I didn't make the big cash. You know, when I signed with the Minnesota Fighting Saints, I played in Johnstown. I made twelve thousand dollars a year. My first three paychecks bounced. Now, how many players ain't now? <laughs> how many players would keep on playing if their paychecks bounce? I love the game. I love the game of hockey. I had a full scholarship for baseball. I was a pitcher for. Uh, in, really? uh, I was a pitcher in northern Minnesota. I had four pro teams come watch me in high school, and I had a full ride at University of Minnesota where uh, Dave Winfield was playing in with University of Minnesota at that time. I hated baseball. I lost one game in four years. I never batted under six hundred. It was like. It, it's so boring, you know. Like, like I, I face twenty-one batters, I might strike fifteen or sixteen out, and I, I go three for four. Like, come on, where's the challenge here? You know, yeah. I, I rather go up and down the ice on a thin blade, uh, on a thin blade with a, a weapon in my hand, with a six-three, two hundred fifty guy guy trying to take my head off. <laughs> I rather do that. <laughs> were you with your brothers always sports guys? Like, what kind of led you guys to all kind of do the hockey thing? Well. You're from, I'm from northern Minnesota, now, uh, now we're from a Canadian border. So when we came out, when my mother gave birth to us, it wasn't because it was painted game booth. We came out with skates on. Yeah, My father built our own rink. He had lights. He made his own Zamboni, outdoor awesome. rink. Uh, we, we skated from our house up the block on the street because the streets were all ice. So we skated from our house and went to the rink, and we 41 below, 30 below, 20 below, and we just played hockey. That was our game. And then – and actually when – we were the pitching staff in high school. I pitched Jack pitched Jeff pitched. We were the pitching staff. So it was like, we, it, it was just one of these things, but hockey was our game. We, we played nine months out of the year and, and instead of uh, down in Florida, you played baseball all the time in, in Northern Minnesota, you played hockey nine months. So it's like, that was, that was what you did. And Minnesota is known for the hockey town or hockey state of the United States. It's, it's just hockeyville. How many siblings are there that can say they've all played together at the same time? Like, it's very rare. I've heard of like the Griffey senior and Ken Griffey, and I've yeah. heard sisters and different stuff. But for you guys to have three, it's pretty amazing. Well, you know, especially when you played as a line, right? You know, I'll give you a good example. When we went to the Minnesota Fighting Saints for our first training camp, no contract, we just went to training camp, and we had a gentleman in Minneapolis, Minneapolis St. Paul area. He kept track of we we had 50 shifts during uh, scrimmages, and we scored 35 goals in 50 shifts. <laughs> Glenn Sommer and Harry Neal came up to us. Harry Neal was a coach. Glenn Sommer is a general manager. He says, "Guys, you are good, but you don't have the experience. Go find some place to play, and uh, we'll uh, we'll talk next year." Well, that 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 didn't hold well with us, so we called it the Minnesota North Stars, just across the river, the Mississippi River, and John Mariucci who is from Everleth, Minnesota, which is only three miles from my hometown with the hockey hall of, U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame is, we call up John Marucci, figured he'd give us a shot. And we told John Marucci, he says, listen, Mr. Marucci, we don't want to get paid. We don't want no hotel room. We don't want no meal money. We don't want nothing. Just put us on the ice against your Minnesota North Stars and let us show what you, we have. John Marucci came back and says, listen, if you guys want to play as a line together, go home and join the circus. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, fine. 
So we went to uh, Waterloo, Iowa, in the United States Hockey League, and they wanted to keep me, but they didn't want Jeff and Jack and says, no, nope, we're going together. So we went to Marquette. We, that's how we started playing together as a pro. That summer, I get a letter from John Marucci. wants me to play for the World Cup team. <laughs> and I, I took the letter, and I just put F you and sent it back to him. And I said, yeah, I, no, I'm not going to play for you. No, we're done. But uh, it, it's one of these things. It's, it's very rare for three brothers to play on the same line. The Sutter brother, uh, uh, Brian Sutter, uh, they had like five or six played at the same time with the Islanders, right. and with the Philadelphia Flyers. And uh, so they had a bunch of brothers. But uh, it, it was kind of rare that we played together. And, and it was really great to play with my two brothers because, listen, I was the centerman. Let those two idiots go in the corner, get the puck, feed me in the slot, and I'll score goals. Hey, hey that's, that's, that's the game, man. See, I invented turtling. <laughs> yeah, they fought. I invented I'm, turtling. I'm not gonna get hit. No way. Yeah, have your brothers do it. Um, so let's. How does this kind of lead to slap shot? Like, does the producers or someone like Paul like who's like who's reaching out and be, see tapes of you guys or see you guys be like, okay, we need this in this movie. Right. Uh, Ned Dowd, who played Ogie Oglethorpe in the movie with the big Afro haircut. Wow. All right. He played for our team. He played for our team in Johnstown with the Johnstown Jets, the North American Hockey League uh, that was the farm team of Minnesota Fighting Saints. His sister, Nancy Dowd, who wrote uh, Coming Home with Bruce Dern, she wanted to write about a minor, minor league hockey team. So he says, come on down here. You got to see these guys. You got to see this team. This bunch of characters. So she came down and traveled with our hockey team. And playing with the race car sets is actually what happened. We did, we did play with our race car sets. Uh, Guido, the pretty boy in the movie, Guido Tanisi with the Sparkle Twins. Him and Dave Hansen lived on the third floor. The three Carlson brothers lived on the second floor, and the landlord and landlady lived on the first floor. Well, on Sundays, all the bars were closed. So what we did is moved all the furniture out of Dave Hansen's room or apartment and put it on, and we set up race car sets throughout his apartment, like four or five race car sets, and we have a, a keg over and have a team party at the, over there, and we would bet on our race cars, racing around, and we'd bet on it all day. We'd just race it. So the, the race car set is uh, actually true. The foil on the knuckles, what happened with that is when our, my brothers fought and Dave Hansen fought all the time. So their knuckles, you know, you play three games in, a week, in one weekend, your hands get pretty messed up. And back in those days, when a fight breaks out, everyone dropped their gloves and everyone grabbed on. Well, they started taping their hands up like boxers. Well, the league outlawed that because you're cutting people pretty bad. Right. So the mentality of a hockey player. Get this, son. <laughs> back in the old days, in the early 70s, the golf gloves, the old thick leather golf gloves, we would get them soaking wet and scuff up the knuckles and put them on our radiators. You know how hard those gloves would get. Well, you had, to, you had to fight your first shift because once you started sweating, the leather would soften up. And all of a sudden, now you're put, you know, this, this leather is cutting people up pretty good. Well, then the, the league says you can't put nothing on your hands. So that, that, that's what the game was all about back in those days. So it was, it was kind of different what we did. And uh, playing, playing back in those days, it was an honest game because, like I said, once everyone played that way, fought, you know, we played against the Syracuse, uh, Syracuse Blazers. Every game, three, four bench clearing brawls. Philadelphia Firebirds. Uh, Dave Schultz, his brother Ray Schultz, played on those teams. It was a bunch of uh, fighters. They had three or four bench clearing brawls. We were running out of sticks. We were ready to get uh, in the playoffs, and our owners said they didn't want to buy no more sticks or uh, tape. So we'd have a bench clearing brawl, and our trainer would go on the ice and throw all the other team's sticks on our bench so we'd have sticks to, to, to play the next game. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so it, it was a little different back then. The trash talking in that movie, and I know you touched on it earlier because it's you can't do that now, but is that something where the director was kind of like, hey, you guys go skate around, do your thing, I'll videotape, but say what you would normally say at the time. I mean, some of the stuff you said in that movie, is, I mean, it's so iconic, but right. there's a shock factor to it when you first no, hear it. No question about it. But let's get back to how we got into the movie and, and before I leave that. So anyways, they, she traveled with our hockey team and watched what we did. We did jump a team in warm-ups against the uh, Utica Comets. We did get arrested. We did go because uh, the uh, police station's right across the street. <laughs> You know, and there's a knock at the door of the Carlson brothers and we go across and we had to go, you know, they bailed us out and all that stuff. Well, they couldn't find actors that do our, our roles. They couldn't skate well enough. Right. Uh, and I, I could give you a, a list of names on who is, who's applying to do the, uh, the, the roles. But uh, so the director and the producer said, why don't you just go to these guys? They might be able to play themselves in the role, you know? So we did a reading for them and it says, okay, here's what we're going to pay you. Would you be interested in doing it? Well, that means I don't have to work in the summertime. You know, <laughs> I can make this money. We didn't make a lot of money. We didn't make a lot of money. It was it was pretty much what I made during the hockey season for uh, three months. Slapshot took three months to film. So we said, sure, why not? So we, we started doing this, and my brother Jack was playing for Edmonton at the time, so they wouldn't let him come down to film. It was going to be the three Carlson brothers being the Hanson brothers, and Dave Hanson, the blonde guy who was the Hanson brother in the movie, was going to be Killer Carlson. So – Dave became one of the handsome brothers, and they got a really tough-looking guy, Jerry Hauser, played Killer Carlson, <laughs> which which pisses Dave off really bad because you couldn't get a big, strong guy. Yeah. Jerry Hauser, which which we initiated the first day, we shaved him. <laughs> so, but uh, then history is made. We we uh, there was a couple scenes that uh, one thing one thing what happened with us during filming is. George Roy Hill says, listen, you guys know what to do. You, you're hockey players. You know what you're supposed to do as a hockey player. And Paul Newman would come and say, so listen, as an actor, do it this way. As a, a, Do it that way. George Roy Hill says, do it this way. And finally, at one point, George Roy Hill, the director, said, listen, you know what you're supposed to be saying. You know what you're supposed to do. Just make us laugh. And that, that just kicked in. And we play off each other so well. Uh, there's, there's so many things in that movie that we just, just came out of our mouths. They said, that's good. You know, yeah, let's keep it that way. You know, that one scene where when Newman comes in the locker room and says, yeah, Dave's a killer. Dave's a mess. Okay, who's going to pick up? And, and he says, you guys, yeah, our lights are, yeah. And we did the sign of the cross. Well, that was our thing because George Roy Hill says, how do we get away from this and get on the ice? And he says, let's just do it this way. He says, perfect, done. So they gave us a, they gave us a luxury of being ourselves a lot in that film. The one of my favorites, or there's a couple scenes, but the one where you guys are doing the warm ups and you kind of you make eye contact with the other opposing team and you do yeah. that clothesline like tomahawk chop. Yeah, there's just something the way that was filmed and so authentic to that. And then you as you stand there all bloody during the national anthem, it's, it's just awesome. I'm ripping your song, the guy was interrupting me, <laughs> but on that note. That actually happened. That's the that's the scene in uh, where we were playing in the playoffs against Cape Cod. Okay. No, I'm sorry, uh, Buffalo Norsemen. And there's a guy in that team. His name was Greg Neal. He didn't play. He didn't play. We it was a best of three in the playoffs. He didn't play in Johnstown. We won that game. We went to Buffalo, and he did. But he was in the stands behind our our bench, and we had Henry Taylor, who was an African American, on our team. 
And he was holding signs behind our bench, black people should be playing basketball. Wow. Like, whoa, you can't do that, man. Right. Now, the third game, they beat us. The third game's in Johnson, and he's playing. And oh. he's going to play. I have a broken hand, so I play with a cast on my hand. And uh, we're, we're, we're in, back in those days, everyone went on on the ice with, during warm-ups, but no referees. Referees weren't on the ice back in those days. So we're skating around the ice, and we're following the guys that we want to get. So I'm on one end of the ice, and, and Dave jumps him in the far end. So I'm following my guy all the way to the end of the ice, and I give him a shot. He goes into one, and I got my cast, and I'm hitting him with my cast. Just, just We're just beating him up. We're beating up the whole team. No one grabs my brother Jeff because he's kind of whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, he's, he's way out there, you know. So no one grabs him. He goes, Steve, stop. You're, you're going to hurt him. Don't hit him no more. Don't. So I, I got off him. The guy looked up. My brother Jeff just drills him, knocks him right out. Just They leave the ice. They wouldn't come back in the ice because they thought the commissioner was going to back them. Commissioner says, no, you got to go on the ice. He goes, we're not going back on the ice. They forfeited the game. We went on to win the championship. <laughs> but that's uh, – that's that's the scene that was in the movie where I jumped him in warm-ups and the, all the brawl breaks out. It just And getting arrested in Utica where exactly what happened in the movie. My brother Jeff scores a goal in real life. <coughs> Excuse me. Scores a goal in real life. Someone throws something, hits him in the face. We're in the stands. We go in the stands. And we're just – we're fighting people left and right. And people are scrambling. We're going we're, – you know, we're our skates on and everything. Just like when uh, Mike Milbury was in New York Rangers hitting the guy with a shoe. After the game, we get arrested. We were up for one to five. We got three year probation. Well, that's the scene in the movie where we uh, we uh, got arrested and uh, got uh, bailed out. But it was kind of ironic. On that note, we did a show a couple years when Utica got back into the American League, and we went there. And the cop that arrested us that night was at the game. I was the cop that arrested you. I got home from that game, and I got a call from a kid or a guy at this time. He goes, "Listen." I'm uh, I been bothering me all my life. I'm the 16 year old punk that threw the ice cream and hit your brother in the face, and I apologize. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It was really cool. It was it was pretty cool. I said, hey, listen, you know, just ruined our life, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Part of history, man. <clears throat> the crazy thing that how that movie ends when they like the, your last game, and then the other team brings out these the these all stars have just killed. Yep. Hugs. Now, I guess my question is, I mean, there obviously there's athletes now with nicknames, but back then it seemed like there was these more characters right. had these look or this image or this nickname that really made them a character. Do you right. think missing in sports today? There is because uh, you got those guys that they came out that the Syracuse oh. Bulldogs came out. Those yeah. are actually fighters from the old game. Really, the, Connie Madigan. Uh, where he gave the finger, you know, gave the finger, uh, Poodle, uh, Blake Ball, the big Indian. He was banned from hockey. He was banned from hockey for life from the American League or the East End League because the guy would go around him. He hit him over the head with his stick. Jeez. He was banned for life from playing hockey. You know, <laughs> but the characters aren't there no more. They're, you know, you're, you're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to uh, express yourself. You're not allowed to uh bash the referees you're not allowed to do anything you, you can't do nothing anymore or else you get fined you know it's, it's amazing how they just keep finding you for you know things over and over not wearing a face mask all the football players aren't wearing a mask but the coach has to wear a mask figure that one out yeah that's one of those things too recently i'm like okay so they're all 
supposed to be quarantined together, like the bubble for practice and stuff. But right. these guys can run around, throw, catch, and jump. Why is the coach getting fined for not wearing a mask and wearing your? It's just a weird. Right. I don't know what the message they're sending with that. I don't either. I don't either. But that's that's their rules. You got to follow the rules. Bastards. <laughs> so. In 2017, you have the 40th anniversary of Slapshot. Did you yeah. think <laughs> film that movie that you'd have the cultural impact that you did and create this iconic, not even sports figure, but movie character with your brothers where you, this is a lasting thing for people? You know, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, we did. When we were filming, when you got three great-looking guys, all the talent in the world, and the chicks love the glasses. The chicks yeah. love the glasses, so it's, it's yeah. We thought you know we're we're kind of pissed off. We didn't win the Academy Award, right? But they made up for it when uh, we made Slapshot Two with Gary Bald or Gary Busey and uh, Stephen Baldwin. We what? Now people don't know this. We won Best Supporting Actor for Slapshot Two at the DVD premiere. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> a third movie too, right? We did a third movie, uh, the Junior League. Yeah, when it, uh, we introduced our kids, you know, we we were we innovators. Peace and love at that time because we. Uh, we won the millions with Slapshot 2. We won the lottery, but we spent all of our money on booze, women, and gambling. <laughs> so we're peace and love for Slapshot 3, but we won the Best Supporting Actress for 2. But it is, you know, it, it, it's really interesting because the, the Slapshot 1, it's they're, – they're, Siskel and Ebert on uh, uh, Letterman, they asked him a question. You ever make a mistake on any movies in your life? And they say, oh, we made one slap shot. We gave him two thumbs down and uh, we gave him two thumbs up. So that was pretty cool. Right. You know, and it, we got a little bashed a little bit from the NHL because they, they thought we made a mockery of the game because of the fighting. But you got to understand one thing. You got the Broad Street Bullies playing, and that's how they won the Stanley Cup two years in a row by the way they played. Everyone feared them. And uh, we won the stand, we won the uh, lock card cup in the North American Hockey League by playing that way. We had a tough hockey team. We, we you know, if we didn't, people were afraid to go into our zone. And that was the same thing in the Flyers. But same thing with Boston. You go into Boston Garden when the Boston Bruins, you had, you had the tough team. You didn't have the most talented team. You had a tough team that could play hockey. And uh, when you went to the Boston Bruins at the Boston Gardens. You know you're gonna get beat up. You know you're gonna get bruised. You know you're gonna get hurt. You know you know it's gonna happen. You can't you can't stop it though. That's just the way they play. Besides your brothers, when you guys kind of get together for slapshot theme type of events, uh, how many others from the movie are still around or actually kind of meet up with you guys? Well, we've done we've done when we did the fortieth, we had uh, Yvonne Barrett, the goaltender, uh, Denny Lemieux. We had Guido Tunisi, the pretty boy, Charbois with the Sparkle Twins. We had Alan Nichols, our captain, number 12. Oh. We had Jerry Hauser, Killer Carlson. And we had uh, the three Car the three the three Hanson brothers. We all you know, that that was an amazing event because uh, Vicky and I lived in California in uh, Sacramento. She did organizing, the bookings, the flights, the coronation of the arena the coronation of the aces we we had our we had our uh, banquet at aces remember we said we go to the aces yeah we had our banquet there and we had the buses from uh that picked up all the players and everyone we did the tour of the town we did then at the end of the night at 10 30 after the banquet we went up to the theater and watched slap shot and we did the q a so we started at eight in the morning and we finished at around 10 30 11 o'clock at night it was a full event, and Vicky did that whole thing by herself in California and organized everything. And we were sold out. 
We had we had 50 players to play. It was sold out in 15 minutes. Awesome. It, it was really cool. And if, if you didn't want to uh, play the game, you still could come for the banquet. We had uh, 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 movie film uh, uh, stuff hanging from the ceiling, uh, uh, red carpet. It, it was really cool. It, it, it was a great event. And we're actually thinking right now in the early stages of doing uh, maybe the 45th anniversary. Awesome. Yeah. So people really – find this you can find part of your for me growing up it's one of those rite of passage movies i watched with my dad and it's how old, are you, how old are you when you watched it oh man i'm 35 really? now i think i saw that when i was 11 because i was playing hockey at the time you have called bad parenting because the movie's rated r see how you turned it see how we you turned out because of us yeah i know I mean, between slapshot predator <laughs> cop and godfather one and two i think <laughs> But there is just something about it where people can quote that those iconic lines and talk about it, and you can be a guy or girl, and it's just, it's like, I, even my mom and I will laugh about certain lines and stuff. It's just, it's something really cool about that. It's, I'm glad that you were able to be part of that. One one thing I, I really like about Slapshot is when I when I see it, and, and I don't watch it very often anymore. But when I see, it, I know the scenes come. I did the scenes, and I still giggle. I still get a lot. It's just funny because I know behind the scenes what what we went through. Uh, actually, halfway through the film, we we quit. We quit the film. We got we got threatened to be sued by Universal Studios because, as hockey players, you get your equipment on at seven in the morning. Your scene might not happen till five in the afternoon, but you have to sit there and wait, and you have to wait, and you have to wait. And he said, "Screw this! You know, I could be working in in northern Minnesota, making some yeah, you know, making good money, but this is boring as hell." So uh, about four or five of the, the hockey players went to Washington, D.C. I stayed in town, and uh, they said, we quit. We didn't show up for this, uh, the next day's shooting. Universal called, over, called me up and said, hey, we quit. We, he goes, if, you don't, if you're not on the set tomorrow, we're going to sue you, and we're, you're going to owe us a lot of money because we're losing a lot of money doing this. And I got on the phone, and I called everyone, and we got back. What they did is uh, they got security guards from the movie Jaws. <laughs> And, and they, they followed us all over the town. We we drove them crazy because we go in the bar and we go out the outside the back door. They couldn't find us. We, just, we kept running from them. We were playing games with them, actually, and they couldn't keep up with us. And we just started laughing at them. It, it was pretty cool. But we finished the film. It took us three months to do Slapshot. This is the technology of how it's changed. Three months for Slapshot 1, six weeks for Slapshot 2, and 28 days for Slapshot 3. Yeah, the film—it's like unbelievable what it was. And it's we had we had, a, we had a bunch of great characters too. We had Mo, the the the, the pervert from uh, the movie, reborn Christian. He's a reborn Christian during that film, and it's like, how can you be saying that stuff? Right. <laughs> Snatching FLA. <laughs> Just laughing my head, and just the Jerry Hauser, great character. Alan Nichols, great character. Yvonne Brett, great character. And and the cast and crew are unbelievable. Paul Newman, you know, they're just like Gretzky. When they when Gretzky came to Edmonton, they roomed with me because the kid couldn't skate. He wasn't a very good shooter. He says, "Okay, maybe Steve Cross can teach him how to play the game." Well, he gives me no credit for it. And just like Newman, he was under. Uh, Custom becoming a superstar. They says, "Okay, let him. Let's get a, uh, the Hanson brothers to help him along." Well, we get Newman. No one really liked the guy. 
So we take them over to our house one night. And uh, my brother Jeff made a great salad uh, family recipe of uh, salad dressing. You know, fantastic. And I made the spaghetti with the homemade salad uh, spaghetti sauce. And then we sat back after we had supper. And we sat back and had some homemade popcorn from mom. What's the guy do? Stole all of our recipes. Stole all of our recipes. He finds out that we're after him. He gets into race car driving. He says, okay, fine. We can't catch him no more. So we said, okay. He gives the money to all the hole-in-the-wall gang, all the kids. He says, okay, we'll let him slide. So you ever notice that Newman never won the Academy Award until after Slapshot? Right. We taught him everything he knew. Yeah, totally. <laughs> the teachers. The jerseys behind you, I've noticed yeah. you can kind of talk about kind of what you're doing, but it's, it's kind of cool seeing the uh, reception you've got from those. We really did because uh, here, here comes Vicky's uh, genius mind again. She goes, listen, dude, we got the COVID. And let's, let's, let's make a COVID patch. So one night we were just sitting there just talking, and I started drawing. And uh, we, we started doing a few things here. And we said, let's, let's try this. We got the fist with the foil and we got the, the COVID-19 on, the, on, the, on the, the tape and all that stuff. Putting on the foil, the COVID-19. I tell you, the jerseys slam sold out in one week. Yeah. We, we only made 19. We made 19. So that was kind of cool. We, you know, we could have made a lot more. We could have sold a lot more, but no, it's COVID nineteen, and we had it. We gave the the people a choice. You can have number nineteen on your back or number seventeen on the back, and some made took nineteen, some took seventeen. So it, it went really cool. And then we made T-shirts. We have the COVID T-shirt uh, blue T-shirts. Then we have the uh, putting on the foil long sleeve white shirts, and now we got the. Uh, uh, putting on the foil sweatshirts, and uh, if anyone wants to get them, you go to hansonbrothers.net and they're online. You can uh, pick them up there. Yeah, you know, we, we we're trying to keep the cost as low as we possibly can so people can afford them. It, it's just something for us to do and keep us busy. It, it's it's going really well. No, it's awesome, man. You're also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Like- I'm not. No, no. Vicky runs all the business. No, I'm not. She she okay. does all that stuff. But I, you know what? It's kind of interesting. She kind of said, "Steve, what would you say here?" And I'd give her the lines, and she'd type it out and all that stuff. But it, it's, uh, no, she does. She works hard doing it, uh, keeping it alive, and, uh, and I can't, I can't thank her enough. No, she's great. And so, kind of the last question here to kind of one, one more thing, one yeah. more thing. This is the original artwork I did that night. Oh, that's awesome! And I, and, I, and I'm not a very good artist. <laughs> you should be afraid that hang that. <laughs> we are. Yeah, I, I got to sign it. Yeah. The kind of I've always I've always wanted to ask you, um, but if your grandkids or a, a kid in your life that's growing up that hey I want to be a hockey player, guy or girl, what are you kind of telling them? Are you encouraging them to follow their dreams, or are you someone that's going to be kind of hey you can do that, but be cognizant of like CTE or injuries or is what are you telling those kids? When I when I talk to groups, when I talk to kids. And I give them this scenario, and I'm going to keep it very simple. Instead of using uh, 32 teams, that uh, I'm going to use 30 teams, 30 NHL teams. I'm going to keep the usually carry 25 players, but I'm going to say 20. 30 teams at 20 players per team. That's 600 players in the National Hockey League. Right. Now we have a minor league team, another 600 players. Now the American League has the East Coast Hockey League, another 600 players. So that's 1,800 players in this world that play professional hockey. Right. The chances you're making are slim, but you can make it if you want. 
but you have to dedicate yourself to the game. When you're in high school, when 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 you start in uh, the squirt pee, uh, when you're playing mini might squirt pee wee at a per- certain point, you have fun playing the game. Now you got to start getting serious. Now you're playing bantam midget high school junior. You better train. When your girlfriend says, "Let's go to the movie," no, nah, I can't. I got to train. Right. If you don't train that night, the Russian, the Swede, the Canadians, the Finns are training. So you're one day behind them now. If you want to play in the National Hockey League, you can. Dedication. I, when my son played, I, I, I coached him in high school, and I coached him in the AAA travel team. I said, I want two things from you. Three things. There's, there's four things you have to think about. First of all, is school. School's number one. Second is hockey. Third is eating. Fourth is sleeping. There's nothing else in life. There's nothing else in life. Yep. If you want to make it, you can do this. And, but you have to be dedicated to the game. You have to want to play the game. They're not going to hand it to you. It's a privilege to play hockey. It's a privilege. It, it, it's not a God-given thing where we're going to hand it to you. You have to earn it. And, and that, that's what I always tell. But I also tell the kids, go to school. Because right. the expectancy of a hockey player is five years in the pro ranks. Unless you're a superstar. You play 12, 14, 15 years. The life expectancy of a hockey player is five years. So you start playing pro at uh, 24 years old after you get out of college. You're done at 29. Now what do you do? Right. Now what do you do? Have that diploma from Notre Dame or whatever, Boston College, for basket weaving. At least you have the diploma in your back pocket. Right. People say, where'd you go to college? Notre Dame. Oh, perfect. Where'd you go to college? Harvard. Well, perfect. Yale. Whatever. At least you have a diploma. And that's why I always tell the kids, go to school. Some kids aren't students. Some kids don't want to go to college. Some kids, you know, so you played in a uh, OHL in the Ontario Hockey League or the Western Hockey League or the Quebec Junior League. You know, you can't go to college because they're, they're, you're kind of getting paid to do it in that junior. Right. You're not allowed to go to college. So I always tell the kids, go to college, get an education, because hockey players, you have to be smart. It's a it's a split second decisions on that ice, and if you're not smart, if you if you if you're not thinking out there, you're gonna get hurt. And to get hurt in hockey, the equipment they have nowadays, when we played the game, we used our uh, equipment to protect our body. They use the equipment nowadays to hurt people. Those elbow pads are hard as rock. Yeah. You know, put the old soft padding elbow pads back on. The concussions will uh, they'll eliminate a lot of concussions. People ask me how many concussions I've you had, Steve. I said I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> do you watch or what are your what's another favorite hockey movie of yours uh, like what's mystery alaska like I, I i enjoyed that movie i think it did try kind of too hard to kind of recapture what slapshot did right um, i'll give you a good example i'll give you a good, good example on that one we're, we're doing slapshot two up in vancouver and uh, we were supposed to get Phil Esposito to be the commentary on wow. on uh, uh, TV. Well, he's on the golf course, and Bettman says, I hear you're doing slap shot, too. And Phil says, yeah, he goes, I don't think you should. So Phil Esposito backed out. That's the story I heard. So the producer comes to me and says, uh, do you know anyone that would want to do this? I says, yeah, yeah. So I got I had Barry Melrose's uh, number in my phone. So I call up Barry. I says, "Listen, I got an op- I got an option for you. You know, opportunity for you." I says, "Listen, would you be interested in doing Slapshot too?" He goes, "Yeah, I'd be really interested in doing Slapshot too." I says, "But you can't ruin it like you did Mystery Alaska." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, yeah. See, I, 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 it was a little bit far fetched because you can't have a senior men's hockey team play in a national hockey league team. Right. You know that 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 kind of threw me off a little bit. Decent film. Decent film. Uh, Mighty Ducks for Kids. That's fine. Uh, young Blood. Nah. Uh, that Young Blood is. It's like obviously like the, it's kind of like the Roadhouse for sports movies. Like that's like sexy. Like the shirt. Right. right. Yeah, it, yeah. Uh, Goon. We we went to the premiere. Okay. In New York. We went to the movie in uh, New York City for that. The guy that it, the movie portrays is uh, Doug Smith. I coach him in Johnstown. Really? Doug, yeah, he was he was one of my players. Yeah, Goon won two the good movies. Yeah, Goon was a nice movie. He it, little uh, little too much uh, you know, dramatic of the the punching and all that stuff where you can't skate and you know right. You still got to be able to play the game and skate a little bit, you know. <laughs> uh, but but then again, they portrayed Dougie Smith very well. <laughs> awesome. Well, I want to thank you, Steve, for this. This has been awesome and uh, definitely bucket list for me to talk to you about this uh, the movie Slapshot and your career. And uh, I wish you nothing but success. Thanks, my friend. It's great to see you again. And listen, anytime you want to talk, I'm more than happy to be on your show. This is, this is fine. This is great. Thank you so much. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Kids, I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then have we we the perfect perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on the Dean Blundell Network or on our YouTube channel. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Because democracy is something you do.